è stato consegnato il pallone d'oro a Messi, l'ottavo pallone d'oro. Ma lei tra Messi e Maradona, chi preferisce? Io metterò un terzo, Pelé. Sono i tre che io ho seguito. E Messi è correttissimo, è correttissimo. È, è un signore. Ma per me, di questi tre, il grande signore è Pelé. here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. This is episode 298. Herc, you've had a lot of bad takes in the show. Are you going to disagree with the Pope, though? Are you willing to go that far? That was sacrilegious. Are we blessed? Are we not blessed on episode 298? I can't believe he said Pelé. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I saw the whole thing. He was referring to, like, a lot of different things, but, hey, whatever floats your boat. All right, the Pope not a guest on this edition of Football Americas, but pretty much everybody else, Herc, is. We got uh, Derek Ray. He's about to join us. We're going to talk about their classic or focus on a couple of our guys over there, Alfonso Davies, Gio Reyna. We're going to have Brendan Aronson stop by. Of course, he in Union Berlin about to take on Eintracht Frankfurt. Might get a showdown there against his brother Paxton. Becky Tweed is going to join us live. She is, of course, now the full-time manager of Angel City. You can take that interim tag and you can throw it in the trash. And finally, we'll hear from Danny Cruz, the manager of Louisville City, who, surprise, surprise, yet again has his team in the conference finals in USL. But, Herc, let's start with the latest from the transfer wire. That's right. Barcelona are tracking Mexican striker Santiago Jimenez, according to an ESPN source. Let's give credit to the reporting. A combination of Sam Marsden and Moises Llorens, a couple of our colleagues. The Spanish champions are reportedly aware that competition for the striker will be stiff and that Feyenoord are set to demand a big fee. That hasn't, however, slowed their interest in the 22-year-old who has 13 league goals plus that brace that we saw in Champions League play against Lazio. Herc, what do you make of the reports and what kind of fit do you think Santiago Jimenez would be at the camp now? All right. First, the reports. What do I make of them? They're monitoring Santiago Jimenez. Mm -hmm. Every club monitors a player. That's what they have to do. They have mm -hmm. to see if the player could potentially be part of the club. It doesn't matter if it's Santi Jimenez, a defender, whoever the case may be, big or small, if it comes across the radar, they monitor. Now, can they get him in financially if that were the case? No, they're selling off assets left mm. and right. They're having trouble registering players on time. And if you go back, and if you go back and look at their transfer history when it comes to nines, yeah, Santi Jimenez could be there. I mean, mm -hmm. let's go. Look, Lewandowski, they spent, what, $45 million on him? That's a player who's tried and proven, right? That's somebody mm -hmm. who they desperately wanted, desperately needed. What about everybody else there? Obama Young, free. Memphis Depay, free. Kun Aguero on a free. Luke De John on a loan. Martin Brathwaite, 18 million. Paco Alcacer, you know, you have to go back all the way to Luis Suarez for the first time they spent some real money on a nine, and that was over a decade ago, Seb. So can Santi Jimenez go to Barcelona financially? I see it being very difficult. They're in dire straits. This isn't the Barcelona of old. But tactically? Mm -hmm. Tactically, 
Would that make sense tactically if yes. they could do it? Because you know Feyenoord's going to be like, hey, listen, man, we'd love to help you out, but this is going to go highest bidder. And there are all the clubs in the Premier League that mm -hmm. could spend a lot more than what Barcelona could probably spend and the majority of teams out there could spend on Santiago Jimenez. So he may just go to the highest bidder. But let's for a second play Fantasyland. Let's for a second say Barcelona could afford him. Barcelona wanted him. How would he fit? Think about this for a second. Santi Jimenez, Joao Felix, Lamil Yamal, eh, eh, Gavi behind or Pedri behind, Fermin Lopez. Like, think about how exciting that team would be in open space. That could be something that I would tune in for. But is it realistic? Mm. Probably not. Yeah. I don't know about the financial fit, Herc. I'm not a cap guy. I think the league would be a fit. We talked about it before. I think La Liga would be a great fit for him. I think Barcelona would be a great fit club-wise for him. Obviously, they have kind of that Dutch DNA from the Cruyff era, and he's been schooled by the Dutch. So I think there's a lot of reasons to think this would be a good fit in terms of the tactics and the level. My concern here would be the fit in terms of the roster. You mentioned Lewandowski. Uh, he's 35 years old, but he's got a contract, Herc, through 2026 with, I believe, another option year beyond that. Now, there's been links to Saudi Arabia, but, I mean, you could easily see him, even if the contract is till 2026, at least staying to the club, even if he's sold, till 2025. I think there's no way that anybody in their right mind would tell Santiago Jimenez to go to a place where it's very likely that for the next year, year and a half at the very least, he would be second fiddle. And not just second fiddle to anybody, Herc, but to Robert Lewandowski, who's one of the best in the world right now, I think, still. And, and some would say maybe one of the best to ever do it. So that would be the concern for me with Barcelona. However, there's a lot of nuggets in this article beyond some things that make us think, to your point, this isn't really realistic yet. Uh, the authors of the article point out that Barcelona's priorities are much different. They're looking for, like, a deep-lying midfielder. they got, they got to get help at fullbacks. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think maybe this isn't something that we can dream of right away. But something that stood out to me in the article is that Barcelona are prepared to pay big money. And I don't know if you saw some of the reports this week out of England, where, of course, he is also linked. The numbers now, Herc, are approaching, like, 90 million pounds. This has to be the most interest that a Mexican player has ever generated. And that's the thing that I took away from this report, is in an era of darkness for Mexican soccer, just what Santiago Jimenez could mean. He is truly a bright, shining light. And if he goes for the numbers that they're talking about, Herc, it's going to set every record for a Mexican player ever, and it's going to be a record that no one's going to touch for a long time. Let's go and rate for strikers around the world now, if you think about it. It's in the 100 million. Mm -hmm. um, and listen, to... To these reports, this morning I read that there are two Nigerian forwards that Barcelona are monitoring as well, Victor mm -hmm. Osimhen and Victor Bonafes. Uh, so, so say what you will about these reports, but when you're talking about these type of numbers, that would put Santiago Jimenez in the category of his own, not only in Mexico, but in CONCACAF. $75 million is the transfer fee for Christian Pulisic that to date is the highest transfer fee ever in CONCACAF. If those reports are true, and the going rate for a prime star striker in the world is about $100 million? Wow. Yeah. Big money. Uh, by the way, Barcelona also apparently have signed some 18-year-old Brazilian. I don't know where they got the money for this, but they paid like $30 million for him, $40 million for him. So yes. um, maybe there will be some, some competition there. Surely more competition than we were talking about at Real Madrid. If I had to look at, at that comparison... I think, you know, it's an easier, easier pathway to the Real Madrid starting 11 for Santiago Jimenez than Barcelona, right? You'd rather compete with Joselu well, than Lewandowski. Well, 
Yeah, Victor Roque is the Brazilian you're talking about. But yep. hold on. When you talk about Real Madrid, you still got just the elephant in the room, which is Mbappe. So it's... There's, I know. They're, they're going to play together in a front three, bro. Not, Stop hating they're, they're on Mbappe not. and Santi. It's just the next dynamic duo along with Vinny. Ooh. Ah. Yeah. Now we're talking, baby. Now we're talking. Maybe on my route for Real Madrid if, if, if that'll happen. Probably not. If you want to watch Santi this weekend, you can watch him right here on ESPN+. Plus. Feyenoord against Valvik, 1.45 p.m. Eastern time. And then before that, we got Chucky Lozano and the American All-Stars. PSV against Heracles. Make sure to catch it all on ESPN Plus this weekend. All right, Herc, let's run it back. We're going Copa del Rey with our good friend Julian Araujo getting his first goal for Las Palmas in a 3-0 win over Manacor. It was the game winner in the 68th minute. Yeah, I don't know if he meant it. I think he's trying to cross. I think, look, I don't know if it was even deflected, but I will tell you this. He's not known for his goal scoring. This is only the third ever professional goal he scored in his five years. My man's off to a good start. Julian, of course, uh, on loan from Barcelona. Some reports he could be headed back next season. They've been impressed with what they've seen so far. Las Palmas against Atletico de Madrid. That one tomorrow right here on ESPN+. Plus. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Has become the iconic rivalry in German football. Biggest fixture list of every Bundesliga campaign. Madrid, he's got it! I do not believe it! Musiala! Hardbreak at the death for Dortmund. Bayern are the champions! This has become known as Der Klassiker. Dortmund versus Bayern, Der Klassiker, this weekend on ESPN+. Plus. Both teams in action midweek in the German Cup. Dortmund taking on Hoffenheim in the second round. Gio Reyna got the start, and Herc had a couple of scuffles, shall we say, with John Brooks. Yeah, always uh, one not to shy away from a scuffle or a challenge. Very active in this game in these 70 minutes, producing lots of good plays. Almost had one there. Scuffles, kerfuffles, whatever we call them on uh, this show. As you mentioned, yeah, got the start, played 70 minutes, and actually, as we're going to see here, was involved in the game's only goal, the 43rd-minute strike from Marco Royce. Yeah, say what you will about Gio Reyna and his availability, but when he's on the field, when he's healthy, he just creates. He's got great vision, great awareness, delicate feet, and just knows where to put the ball. Not an assist, but a hockey assist. Some might call it an MLS assist as Dortmund win 1-0 to advance to the next round. Hoffenheim, John Brooks, and Pellegrino Matarazzo out of the German Cup. Not really a big surprise that Dortmund would beat Hoffenheim. The shock of the midweek very much came from Bayern Munich, who fell to third-tier Saarbrücken, Herc. Saarbrücken getting a game winner in the 96th minute, Herc. This game was so crazy, it had you tweeting about the Open Cup. <laughs> it did. This is an example of why the lower division team should always host in the Open Cup. Could you imagine the scene? By the way, I know you had Saarbrücken in your pick'em. I know you had him in some <laughs> crazy bet that you like doing because you're a degenerate that way. Did you pick him? Oh, no, I didn't. But to have had this somewhere in a parlay, what, uh, what a beautiful thing that would have been. Uh, Alfonso Davies gets to start place 90 minutes there in the loss for Bayern Munich as they fall 2-1 to one against third-tier Saarbrücken. So here's how they arrive at Der Klassiker again. Saturday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time here on ESPN+. Borussia Dortmund hosting 
Bayern Munich. Thrilled now to be joined by the gentleman who will be calling the game here on ESPN Plus, none other than Derek Ray. Derek, where in the world are you joining us from? Have you made it to Germany yet on your travels? Yes, I've been here in Germany for a little while. I'm actually ensconced in Dortmund, which proudly calls itself the football capital. Not just the football capital of Germany, but the football capital. And that's certainly appropriate for what's going to be happening this weekend. You're in Dortmund. We want to talk about Dortmund, but I got to start with Bayern Munich. What is going on with this team? Last weekend in Bundesliga, they hang eight, eight on Darmstadt. And then a few days later, Derek, they lose to a team from the third tier. I figured, all right, they're going to bring in Harry Kane. At least in Germany, Bayern Munich are going to dominate, but that's not really what we've seen this season. No, and this has been a problem competition for Bayern going back over a number of years. The day at Bapelkar, people talk about the FA Cup being the greatest cup competition in the world. I beg to differ. I think if you look at the Pokal, you look at what has happened to Bayern, you look at other clubs as well, full of unpredictability. And Zabrücken, you see the pictures there, completely embody what the day at Bapelkar is all about. And... Honestly, nobody thought this was going to happen, notwithstanding Bayern's difficulties in the Pokal. And it's magical. And I know Herc has mentioned it. It's something that other cup competitions would love to have. A passionate crowd. You know, are not a tiny, tiny team. They're not the biggest team in Germany. They've been in the Bundesliga before. And, you know, Bayern find themselves on the receiving end of an upset, their worst upset received in about 23 years since the days of Bayern losing to Magdeburg in the day of Bepokal. What's wrong with the team? Well, I think that what's wrong with the team is the balance is off, and Thomas Tuchel himself has spoken about that. They're very strong in certain positions. Harry Kane, of course, has been an enrichment. When you have Jamal Muziala, Leroy Zane, Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, who hasn't been fit, Thomas Müller, in those attacking midfield positions, if you want to call them attacking midfield positions, you're very well off. But they're thin when it comes to defensive midfield, when it comes to central defence at the moment. They've been a bit unlucky there with the injury situation and also at right back. And so it's not a complete squad and they're weak in certain positions and that has made it a little bit difficult, but no excuse when it comes to Zabrücken. They should have been able to pass that test, and they didn't. Derek, I got a list of questions here I want to ask you, but the, the first one is, I just remembered, I'm listening to the voice of EA Sports FC right now. Mm. Like, do you get recognized more for the, as being the voice of EA Sports FC than you do for your punditry work? I'm just curious. <laughs> it's a good question, Herc. I think it depends upon who you ask. Uh, with the younger generation, let's say, I think it's probably very much the video game. In fact, I often get asked, have you actually ever commentated on a, a real match? Because we only know you from the video game. And of course, I have to reply, yeah, I've been doing it for um, for a few decades, let's just say. Um, but when it comes to you know people more my vintage, then the video game is a bit more of a mystery. And it's probably more about the Bundesliga and maybe the Champions League, which I used to cover all the time for ESPN in my younger days. All right. The next generation, that newer generation, one of those players in the new generation. Actually, he's 23 years old today, Canadian international Alfonso mm. Davies. Uh, he's in his fifth full season with uh, Bayern Munich. It seems like every time I open up my Twitter, I go online, I see his name. It's being linked to a big team around the world, most yeah. notably Real Madrid. 
Are we seeing the end of Alfonso Davies with Bayern Munich? Not necessarily. Uh, I think it's certainly a, a hot topic for everybody at Bayern. They know full well that his contract is up in 2025. And we all know the score, don't we? When it gets to, you know, within a year or so, you want to have that player already buttoned up. So Bayern are turning their attention to Alfonso Davies and trying to find a way of extending the contract. Because, of course, they want to keep Alfonso Davies. There's no doubt about that. But you just sense that the people behind Alfonso Davies are saying, OK, this is when we've got to play the game and there is an element of game playing here and see what the other interest is and I agree with you Real Madrid have been consistently linked with him you can imagine that he would fit in very well there and it's a matter also of what he wants but the next few months will be absolutely critical because Davies is an entertaining player but he's also an effective player and I always look at the statistics and the updates when it comes to the different categories and you know he, he's not just a a, a player who has terrific pace but that is one of his attributes and he's always there or thereabouts either top on his own when it comes to pace or joined with somebody else so yeah this is one to watch for sure but don't think that Bayern are going to let him go easily pretty much an immovable part of that uh, Bayern lineup they had three games this week across three different competitions he was Starting in every one of those games. Three assists yeah. so far on the Bundesliga campaign there for Alfonso Davies. All right, let's uh, hit the Dortmund side of this matchup, Derek. Tell me a little bit about this Dortmund team. I mean, is there any reason to believe that this year is going to be different than last year and really all the years before that in recent memory for Borussia Dortmund? Well, what's interesting about Dortmund is they haven't quite had the build-up coming into this campaign. Of course, it was heartbreak for them on the final day last season. I was actually in Köln watching Bayern, who clinched the title when everybody thought Dortmund were going to do it. They've lost Jude Bellingham, and that is certainly difficult when it comes to trying to find a replacement for a player of his quality. And what they've been doing is playing no-frills football. I thought actually quite poor football the first few weeks of the season. I was with them when they played Köln and staggered over the finish line, shouldn't really have won that game. They've got a, a bit better, actually a lot better in some of their matches, but Edin Terzic, the coach, has said it is about being less sexy, his word, and more successful. And they've been the masters of the 1-0 win. Five times they prevailed by one goal to nil in the various competitions, including the Pokal game against Hoffenheim, including the victory in Newcastle in the Champions League. A bit of a statement victory there. But against Eintracht Frankfurt, they were sloppy defensively. They were chasing that game. It was a turbulent match. But you've got to give them credit. In the second half, they were able to bounce right back and play some of the most fluent football of the season so far. The difficulty is that without Jude Bellingham, as I said, there's not a like-for-like -like replacement, so they've tried to sort of patch it together a little bit. Players like Marcel Zabitza now at the club, somebody like Felix Mecha, who used to be with Wolfsburg, who's not Bellingham, not a true Bellingham sort of player. Again, nobody is, uh, for heaven's sake. But uh, the talent is still there in the attacking midfield positions. Julian Brandt, Marco Reus still going strong at 34, Daniel Marlin, Gio Reyna from time to time getting some minutes, probably not as a starter when it comes to the Clásica against Bayern, but might well get on. And so that is sort of the strength of the team. Niklas Fulkrug has been a very good addition, I think. 
He was the joint top scorer in the Bundesliga last season with Christopher Nkunku, back when Phil Krug was with Vera Bremen. And they have a terrific goalkeeper in Gregor Kober. Mats Hummers is playing out of his skin, having had his doubters, I think it's fair to say. Nico Schlotterbeck, very good defender. Where they're weak for me still in the fullback positions, I think they could improve there. And I think teams can get at them there. But what's interesting is it's not really about just Bayern and Dortmund this season. It's also about Leverkusen, who, of course, are not involved in this big match at the weekend. But they have been letting the football do the talking under Xavi Alonso. They are title contenders. I think we have to say that. And Leipzig are in the equation as well. They can take points off the other teams. They did it against Bayern quite recently. So this is always a really important game, Dortmund against Bayern. But I see it really as a three- or four-way fight this season. Derek, let's go to Gio Reyna. Um, obviously, when you yeah. mentioned him, you said he probably wouldn't be starting uh, this weekend. What's going on with Gio Reyna at Interzic? Because I feel like he just started playing. Before the international window, he played 26 minutes, comes back. The coach says he's doing well, pulls him out at half, even though he said he was doing well, played 70 minutes uh, this last game. What's his situation? Is he going to stay at Bayern? Where do you see his interest if he doesn't stay at Bayern? Or, sorry, Dortmund. Well, say, at Dortmund, yeah, yeah. You had me worried for a second there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I think obviously he's going to stay at Dortmund in the short term. The situation with Gio Reyna is he is behind Brandt, Royce, Marlin in the pecking order, but he's an important squad member. And Dortmund have been pretty consistent here. They're well aware of the injury situation that is part of his history, unfortunately. So they want to be fair to him and they want to use him judiciously. They don't want to just throw him in there. And, and they have a reason for when he starts and a reason behind when he doesn't start. Now, against Einklaff Frankfurt, I felt a bit sorry for him. But if you're being brutally honest, he didn't play well defensively, especially in that Eintracht game. It was a torrid time that Dortmund had. And Frankfurt very cleverly had these overloads on the right-hand side with sweeping counter-attacks. Reina was playing left midfield with Rami Bensebaini behind him. And he was really leaving Bensebaini on his own. So he was hooked at half-time. Now, Edin Terzic said, yeah, you know, I could have taken the whole team off, really. Uh, but he didn't acquit himself well in that game. But he did in the Pokal. Played really well, especially first half. Really cultured and creative. So that's the, the good side of Gio Reyna. But I think sometimes, if I can say it this way, I think a lot of observers in the United States, fans who really want Gio Reyna to do well, and I want him to do well also, but I think these fans, they look at everything through the prism of Gio Reyna and not through the prism of Borussia Dortmund. Mm. And Dortmund have to accommodate all these top players. They're a huge club, one of the biggest clubs in the world. You're playing in front of 81,000 every week. And so you're not necessarily going to get this run in the team that everybody says, oh, just give him a run in the team and he'll deliver. He'll show how good he is. And somebody even said to me this week, I, I hope Edin Terzic knows exactly how good Gio Reyna is. And my response to that is, Edin Terzic is watching him every day in training at Dortmund's Brackel headquarters. We know how strong he is. We know that the upside is very good for him. I happen to think he's at a club that does care about his development and they're using him sensibly. I know that's difficult for a lot of American fans because they want to see him play every single game. But there aren't that many at Dortmund who play every single game. They're involved in multiple competitions at a very high level. 
And I would say, just wait and see. I don't think he'll start on the Classica, but I'll be surprised if he doesn't come on for a significant chunk of minutes. All right, Derek, we need your expertise to make our picks ahead of the big game on the weekend. We have a segment here on the show called Book It, where we like to, you know, be well-informed before the uh, bets are placed on the weekend's action. Of course, uh, Dortmund and Bayern Munich available for you with coverage starting actually at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, right here on ESPN+. So if I was going to make a bet on this game, Derek, I would, mm-hmm. I would hit yeah. the both teams to score in the second half because if you look at the recent history between these two games, there is incredible drama late. But aside from that, Derek, and I don't necessarily need a final score because that's like picking a needle out of a haystack, but... What kind of game do you think we'll get on Saturday? Will we see a lot of goals, and who do you think might score those goals? I think we'll see an open game, Sebi. I think it will be that sort of match with both teams having strengths in the attacking parts of the pitch. I think they have the problems defensively as well, so I'd be very surprised if this is one of those games where the two teams cancel each other out. Um, I'd be looking at a player like Leroy Zane, who's been in terrific form and combined so well with Harry Kane to prosper on this stage. At the same time, Julian Brandt is somebody who really has carried Borussia Dortmund in an attacking sense. And maybe Niklas Fulkrug is going to have a big game here as well for Dortmund. I think there will be goals, and actually goals are plenty. And that has tended to be the pattern in games in Dortmund, very close games high-scoring matches. I think this will be similar and possibly some late drama on the scoring front as well. It finished 2-2 when they met in Dortmund last season. Dortmund came back from 2-0 down. I see something similar here. Um, I don't think Bayern are going to win this game. Not Hmm. saying that they're going to lose the match, um, but I'm not feeling that they're necessarily going to win. They've been held 2-2 by, I mentioned these other protagonists, Leverkusen, and Leipzig, I see something similar here. Or maybe I'll even go one further and say 3-3 or something of that nature. Wow. I'm, 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 I'm thinking we're going to be in for an epic. Okay. Famous last words. Let's go. <laughs> the uh, over three and a half, minus 119. Herc, did you see me furiously scrambling down my notes? Yes, uh, I did. As Derek was talking about it, you took note there. You, okay, you need good. help. Good. <laughs> All right. Uh, Derek Gray, man, great to have you on. Thanks so much for making time for us here on Football Americas. You can hear Derek on the call of Der Klassiker on Saturday right here on ESPN+. Plus. It's Borussia Dortmund against Bayern Munich. Coverage starts 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. Don't miss a single minute of the action right here on ESPN Plus Saturday. Elsewhere in the Bundesliga on Saturday, we could have some history when Union Berlin and Eintracht Frankfurt face off. Brendan and Paxton Aronson could become the first American brothers to ever play against each other in one of Europe's top five leagues. That was one of the topics that came up when I spoke with Brendan earlier today. Here's part one of our interview. So a lot of folks around the world are focused on their Klassiker this week in the Bundesliga, Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. But here on Football Americas, we got a keen eye on Union Berlin against Eintracht Frankfurt because it could be, it could be, depending on what happens, the Aronson Derby. One of the brothers, Brendan Aronson of Union Berlin with us now. Brendan, great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. Good seeing you. So tell us a little bit about what the uh, back and forth has been like this week with your brother. You guys talking a lot ahead of this game? Yeah, I mean, it's been crazy because, I mean, we've had like five games since the international window already. So it's been so many games and it's really been tough for us to actually like talk about the game. But 
It started yesterday, just after his last cup game, because they played last night, and he actually got an assist. So he was just saying, "Yeah, now we're ready to play you guys." So I think it'll, I think it'll start to perk up a little bit more today, probably with the trash talk. Mm -hmm. How much do you guys talk in a regular week? Like, are you guys pretty close during the season? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we. It's nice now because you know when he was in the MLS, it was like six hours difference, and it was really tough to really stay in contact with. I mean, it, I, staying back home with family and then him in general, you know. So our connection kind of, I guess, faded a little bit because we weren't able to talk as much. But him being back here and and being in the same situation as myself, I think our connection's gotten even stronger. How common is this, right? Because I know you guys were great youth players in the same area growing up, but. Even if like Paxton was playing up a couple years, which I'm sure he did, you were probably yeah. playing up a few years as well. So how often were you playing either with or against each other coming up? Yeah, there was actually, I think maybe U10 was the first time that he, he would just come and train with us all the time too. Like he would always train with my team. And uh, I played my age at that point, and he was always training with my team. He played a few games for us. He was like the when you when I was smaller, my team is small. This guy was like literally at like probably at my knee level, and he was out on the pitch playing against kids that were like three years older than him. So I mean, you could tell from that point how good of a player he was, and and playing up really helped him a lot, you know. And it was it was good to see his growth and and how great he's gotten. Do you have any memories of going against him, either like one-on-one -on -one in the backyard or, or in games yeah. against each other in, in like real competitive play? What are those stories like? I mean, I can answer that question right away, 100%. I mean, we, we always like to make everything a competition. Uh, when I'm home, me and my dad and my brother, we always train together uh, off seasons, just any time that we can, we can play, you know, and try to get better. Uh, we're always doing stuff like that. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun, you know, where we're doing finishing, who can score the most goals or in our 1v1 battles sometimes they can go for like 30 minutes plus of just like it's just a stalemate for so long and then someone scores so it's a lot of com competitive com competition over the years but i think through it all we've always supported each other and, and always been there for each other no matter what all right so your dad must be an incredible player i got an over 40 team is your, is your dad eligible for my over 40 team can we can we put a word in <laughs> I mean, I don't, he has a hurt toe right now, and it's been hurt for about mm. like ten years. So <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think he'd be able to play in that. To be fair, uh, what about the parents? Like, what what is the plan for this weekend? I'm sure they're just you know over the moon about this possibility. Is like, are all the Aronsons going to be at this game? Yeah, they actually couldn't make it out for this one because I have a little sister back home too. Um, so it's it's tough, but I mean, they wanted to be here really bad. Uh, we play them another time in the season, so I'm guessing that they'll probably try to get out for that one too. But yeah, I think um, yeah they're going to be watching from afar. They're always with us no matter what. They're always supporting us, and I think it's going to be a really proud day for the both of them, really. Have you talked to them? Do you know a sense of like what they'll be feeling? Because surely they've, they've probably rooted <laughs> for you guys at the same time, but not, a, not against each other. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I actually just saw this uh, Travis Kelsey and this Jason Kelsey like interview when they were playing against each other in the Super Bowl. And the mom had to like pick a team, but she cut the jersey in the middle, if I'm mistaken. I think it was this, but like she had like the Chiefs on one side and the Eagles on the other. It was something like this. And that just kind of stood out to me. And I thought it was funny because that's probably something my mom would do too. But I don't think they're they're picking any sides or anything like that. All right. So who's who's Travis and who's Jason of the Kelsey brothers if we're doing it for the Aaronsons? 
I mean, I'm definitely have to. I have to take Jason because I'm the older brother. I, ha- I have to do that, <laughs> or then I'll get some <laughs> stick because he needs right. probably Travis. Okay, so I, we got to find out who the uh, German Taylor Swift is there, and then we'll uh, we'll get that all sorted. <laughs> Um, let's talk about the game this weekend, man. It's a, it's a big one. I don't have to tell you guys where you are on the table. It's been a tough start to the year. Just how important mm-hmm. um, are the three points that are available this weekend? Yeah, I mean it's it's huge for us. Uh, like you said, it's been it's been a tough spot. It's been a tough start. I mean, actually not a tough start. The first two games went really well, and then you know it was just the decline. And I think throughout anybody's club history, uh, you go through downs like this. And I was at a down last year. And I've been through it before, but I think the biggest thing for for us as a club and us as, as teammates is to stay positive and, and do the best we can week in, week out, and training and training, and, and things will start to turn around. Can you put your finger on it? I mean, we've been through kind of two international breaks. I know you've been away for that, but it's it's kind of there's an opportunity there to look back on the season. There's nine games in, I think, at least in league play. Can you put your finger yeah. on kind of what's gone wrong early on here? I mean, there's there's things that I can say that have gone wrong. I think that there's, I mean, it's I can't put a finger on one thing. I think it's just football at the end of the day. I think we've been unlucky in moments, but we can still do a lot better. I think that we need to keep trying to create more chances, be on the attacking foot a little bit more. I think things like this would help us. Um, and I mean, when you're losing games, it, it, you can say there's a lot of things that are going wrong. But I think that there's there's goals that the other teams are storing that are unbelievable goals, you know, unlucky things. But I think we just need to keep sticking at it and keep working on what we need to get better at, and I'm sure things will get better. All right, there you have it, Union Berlin, Eintracht Frankfurt, the Aronson Bowl. Coverage starts on ESPN Plus, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Saturday. We'll have part two of our interview with Brendan on next Monday's edition of Football Americas. Speaking of Union Berlin, let's run it back with Jordan Pifok, who is on loan from Union Berlin. Borussia Mönchengladbach and Herky scored a brace uh, on Tuesday as Gladbach beat Heidenheim 3-1 in the second round of the German Cup. So how about that for Jordan Pifok? Not one goal, but two in cup play midweek. That to go along with his tally so far in Bundesliga. One goal and one assist in seven games for Jordan Pifok since making the move from Union Berlin to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Angel City season came to an end in the first round of the NWSL playoffs against OL Reign, but what a run to get there. Team was struggling mid-season. It led to the ouster of manager Freya Coombe back in June. She was replaced by Becky Tweed, and with Tweed in charge, Angel City rallied. Eight wins, just two losses to go along with five draws down the stretch. They qualified for the playoffs as the five seed, and today, Tweed named the club's manager the interim tag gone as she takes over on a full-time basis. 
and we are thrilled to welcome in here to Football Americas, Becky Tweed. Becky, congratulations, and thanks for making some time for us. What a moment. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's been a crazy day, week, a uh, few months, but yeah, thank you for having me on. I mean, it's been a little bit more than that. It's been a, a crazy <laughs> few years. I was looking at your resume. You know, three, four years ago, Becky, you were an assistant uh, at the NCAA level. Here you are getting the head coaching job at one of the, I think, most probably sought-after clubs in terms of the women's game, not just in NWSL, uh, but globally. How did we get here? Yeah, I think, again, I, something that's crazy is that everybody looks at a coaching pathway and a journey and thinks that, you know, you come from a certain place or you forget where you've come from originally. And I think actually this is one of those stories where you just got to put yourself out there. You've got to learn. You've got to um, get yourself involved in the right people um, and not be afraid to kind of throw yourself in the deep end a little bit. So, yeah, it's been crazy. I think obviously coming into the league was important for me as an assistant and being um, an assistant under a couple of head coaches is something that has allowed me to build my identity and kind of move forward with how I want to be as a head coach. First off, congratulations, Becky. You talk about uh, being thrown in the deep end. It's either sink or swim, right? You were jet skiing. I mean, Angel <laughs> City, two losses in the 15 games that you were in charge. Uh, the turnaround, explain the turnaround. What did you do? What is it you changed? How did this work? Yeah, I think obviously we knew that it's a group of players and staff that always knew that playoffs was the goal and we never lost sight of that. We just narrowed it down to one game at a time um, and we just talked about how we could be successful week to week. Um, what was gonna, what was it going to take Monday to Friday to, to win games and pick up points on the weekend and we just scaled it back to really simple things. Um, keeping everybody included, um, everybody's role was really important um, across the whole group and the whole squad and I think just challenging the players every single day to be the best versions of themselves and taking it day by day. <laughs> All right, well, congratulations on 2023. Now let's put some pressure on you for 2024. <laughs> I'm wondering what your expectations are, and specifically, I wonder if you can give us any details on when we might see Kristen Press back on the field. Because, boy, you think about all the success that you guys had kind of down the stretch, and you throw Kristen Press into that, and y'all could be a real dangerous team. Yeah, I think, obviously... <laughs> We're in a space where we've come off a, a successful season, um, a, a wild season, but no one feels like it was the end. Um, and ultimately, we lost in the playoff game, and I think that was a learning, big learning moment for us for what is to come next year. We just want to check as many boxes as we can and be honest and open about the spaces that we have to grow in. Um, obviously, getting Kristen back on the field would be a major boost for us, and she's working hard to get there. So. You know, her goal is, is to get back on the field for us next season. And, you know, fingers crossed that, that you're able to see her. All right, Becky, let's talk playoffs. Let's talk NWSL playoffs. I'm going to have you give us a scouting report on a game. <laughs> a team that you dropped five on, Portland. I was there uh, that game. And Gotham FC. What's the scouting report right there? How do you see? What's the key to this game? Yeah, it's going to be a good matchup. I think two teams that have been, like, really up and down in form. Um... I think ultimately the playoff games are about who comes out bravest, um, who's okay with taking risks. Um, I think Portland have been there before, been there, done it. I actually think that, that Gotham may get the wrath of the Portland that last played against us um, and probably have some unfinished business in this league. So um, it's going to be a good game. I think all four teams that are left in, you've seen the NWSL this year, you have no right to predict any score. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, all right, what about the other semifinal? This one, uh, for me, is very, very interesting because we know there's some great history between San Diego Wave uh, and OL Reign. They're also going to be playing for a spot in the final. What do you make of this matchup? How do these two teams, Becky, stack up against each other? Yeah, again, two really well-coached, organized quality teams, both very different. Um, Rain, I'd say, you know, really um, effective in the wide areas, putting crosses in boxes uh, in the box, um, have nines that can finish. And then San Diego, a little more compact, um, a little more um, central dominant. So, again, two unbelievable coaches that are not afraid to tactically switch things up. So I'm really interested to see the direction of that. And again, it's it's you know, playoffs, <laughs> anything can happen. And it's that one moment and it's going to be that one moment player that's going to take it. Um, I think, again, another close game and <laughs> a wild if you try to predict again. <laughs> How big is home field advantage uh, in the playoffs? You guys obviously had to go on the road. I'm just thinking about a team like OL Reign. You got to go to San Diego. If you're San Diego, you're playing for a spot in a home final. That'd be the dream. Yeah, I think obviously that's a huge motivation for San Diego. And actually what this league has proven this year is that the fan base has, has grown an incredible amount. And when we're at home, you feel at home. And that's something that has taken a while to get to in this league. And I think, you know, obviously when you come to an Angel City game, you know you're at an Angel City game. And I think that can help you in the playoffs in those little moments where you've got to dig deep. You've got the fans um, you know your home, you've got the whole community behind you. And, you know, we're super grateful that we have fans that travel to to reign with us. And that was really felt. And I think, you know, that can help all four or two of the two teams that are home this weekend for sure. Hey, Becky, you know, now that you're a coach, can you give me your feelings on the U.S. Women's National Team having games during the NWSL playoffs and how mm -hmm. that may affect your team? Yeah, I think... It's tough. We always want players to go and be able to play on their national teams and represent their country at the biggest stage. And I think, you know, there's there's pieces of the NWSL schedule that are always a challenge, but I think that's a challenge wherever you go. Um, the international windows um, and breaks happen all across the calendar year. So, again, it's it's tough. I think the gap between Portland playing three weeks ago and now is also really difficult. So I think there's more challenges in it, but ultimately our job is to support the players that, get picked um, to go and play internationally and keep the rest of the squad ready and engaged and ready for any game. It's really a great story, Becky. Not just what you've accomplished with Angel City, but really your rapid rise up the coaching ranks. Congratulations and thanks again for joining us here on Football Americas. Thank you. There she is, uh, Becky Tweed, new manager of Angel City FC. The semifinals are set for this weekend, OL Reign against San Diego Wave, Portland against Gotham, all that ahead of the NWSL Championship, November 11th in San Diego at Snapdragon Stadium. Let's talk to Major League Soccer, shall we? Luis Suarez looks all but set to be on his way to join Lionel Messi, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba and the rest of the gang at Inter-Miami. El País in Spain, the first to report it. They expect the deal to be done before the year ends. The 36-year-old spent this past year at Gremio in Brazil after playing in his fourth World Cup with Uruguay last December. Herc, it's a move that's been talked about quite a bit. Is it the right move for Inter-Miami? All right, let's dissect this for a second, Seb. Mm -hmm. As a standalone move, I don't hate it. I know he's 36 years old, but I don't hate it. Let me re read off a few stats uh, of his time in Gremio. Okay, all comps, 
over 4,000 minutes, 19 goals, 16 assists in 46 games. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. As a standalone, that is good. 36 years old, double-digit goals in regular season play, okay, league play, and double-digit season assist. Excuse double-digit assist. So that's good. Here's a problem. It's when you add this to the packet of Messi and friends. Hmm. When you say, okay, no national team for him, so that shouldn't be a problem when everybody else is in Copa America like Messi, he won't put country before club. But when you think about the players, Messi's going to be 36, or he's 36 right now. He'll be 37. Suarez will be 37. Uh, Alba will be 35, okay? Jordi Alba will be 35. Busquets is going to be 36. When you put all that together, Messi and friends can get a little long in the tooth. And mm. I know what you're saying. Look what Messi did. Look what he did in his time. Yes, he absolutely killed it in those, what, seven, eight games that he had to play for mm -hmm. uh, in, in League's Cup. And after that, well, there was an injury scare. There's an injury scare to him. There's an injury scare to Jordi Alba. There was fatigue of Sergio Busquets. Uh, this can get a little worrisome when you add it to a very compact calendar mm -hmm. year with the Copa America, with the travel, et cetera, et cetera. As the roster rules get flexible to allow the signings of players like Luis Suarez to enter Miami, which will, I think, strengthen somewhat Inter Miami. It will also be the same for other clubs who won't go older. They will go younger and with more money. This can be a complication. As a standalone signing, I absolutely love it. Together for Messi and friends, you're getting a little long in the tooth. Hmm. It's weird because that's almost the thing that makes me love this move from Inter Miami. If it was a standalone and he wasn't going into a place where he had all these connections, all this experience, I might feel like this was a bit of a risk. Now, really how big of a risk, Kirk, we don't know, because we don't know the money. I think it's right. fair to suggest that even a guy like Luis Suarez might take a non-DP deal, like the desire to play with Messi for guys, especially some like, someone like Suarez who's made a lot of money, is such that you might be able to get him in on less than a DP deal. Then, you know... It's obvious. We also don't know his health. He's had some serious injuries. He is 36 years old. But we know Inter-Miami need to do something at this position, right? They've just let go of Joseph Martinez. I don't know what you think of Leo Campana. To me, he's a guy that's a great, like, 1A or, like a, or, or a second guy. I don't know if what Inter-Miami pretends to want to do now with Lionel Messi. I don't know if Campana's the guy. So they got to do something here. I just don't know if Suarez is the best option on the market, right? If you're in Miami uh, and you can really go after somebody, I think it's good to go after somebody with a finishing pedigree of a Luis Suarez. I might just go in a different direction. I don't know if you've seen this. Olivier Giroud has been linked quite a bit to Major League Soccer. He's not any younger than Suarez. Actually, Herc, he's older. He's 37 compared to Suarez 36, but I think he might be a better fit at a place that, like Inter Miami than I, Luis I Suarez. Don't, I don't know why estás mugriando Luis Suarez. Why you're making less of Luis Suarez here like he's just some bum. The guy I just read you his stats in Brazil. And by the way, he, he missed more games due to suspension than he mm -hmm. did injury. Like, mm -hmm. this whole injury scared thing right now, there's been no proof of it. Yeah, he's had an issue with his knee in the past, but these numbers are ridiculous. He played okay. over 4,000 minutes this year in all comps, and he knows Messi. I'm just worried about it all coming together. I'm not worried about them putting on a show. They will put on a show, but if you want to win... This is a long season. Uh, the summer's going to come around Copa America. You know that Messi's heart is with Argentina. Argentina, mm -hmm. excuse me. It's not going to be with Inter Miami. So when you put all these players, Messi and mm -hmm. friends, together at that advanced age, can you keep them all healthy at the same time? That is my worry. But Luis Suarez, do not doubt Luis Suarez. 
And I like Oliver okay. Giroud, but they're not the same player. Um, if it's not Suarez, if it's not Giroud, unless you think that Campana's going to be the guy, who would you have him bring in? Because they need a striker, Herc. Who would I have him bring in? Listen, yeah. if they're... It, I'm fully convinced that Major League Soccer is going to change because of Messi. Messi is going to bring you more money. They're going to open up the wallets. They may change the mechanisms. There may be more DPs, et cetera, et cetera, to go around. You bring in the best player possible. You don't bring in more friends. That's what I would do. I would go younger. I would go now, potential, today, instead of, uh, you know, let's make Messi more happy. All right. Well, Lionel Messi might get Luis Suarez, but he can't, Herc. He can't. Have it all. That's right. The MLS Newcomer of the Year Award is going to Georgius Giacomakis of Atlanta United. This despite the fact that Lionel Messi was also up for the award. Giacomakis with 17 league goals in 28 games for Atlanta after joining from Celtic in Scotland earlier this year. <laughs> all right. From MLS news to FIFA news. How about this Hercules Gomez? Saudi Arabia all but set to host the 2034 World Cup. That's right. That's right, folks. It's happening. They've become the sole bidder for the 2034 Men's World Cup, according to FIFA, after an Australian representative said that they would not be pursuing hosting rights for the event. Gianni Infantino on social media, he already came out and said it. We're going to Saudi Arabia in 2034. Herc, are you cool with it? How could I be cool with FIFA doing what they've always done? Mm. Greed, corruption. I mean, it's not even a fair bidding process. You realize we called this. We realize, I mean, it's not even we called it. It's just so obvious. We said when it was announced that it would be Argentina, mm -hmm. Uruguay, Paraguay, Spain, Morocco, and Portugal, that this would happen. They eliminated all these different countries, all these different uh, regions from the bidding process. So guess what? It could only be either Australia or Saudi Arabia. And guess what? Australia didn't put in their bid on time. So they got what they wanted. They greased the wheels the way they wanted. They set it up the way they wanted to, to give it to Saudi Arabia. So now the craziest thing is, you have announced two men's World Cups for 2030 and 2034 before you've even announced the women's 2027 World Cup, which is right around the corner. It's FIFA continuing to do what they've always done. And the worst part is they're looking us straight dead in the eyes, straight dead in the face and saying, hey, look at us. We're doing this. Yeah. Thank you again for mentioning the fact that we don't yet know where the 2027 Women's World Cup will be, yet we now know the 2030 and 2034 Men's World Cup hosts. To me, Herc, the biggest issue here is the lack of transparency. I feel like the reason that FIFA got into the trouble, that they got into when Qatar was selected as the host for the 2022 World Cup, is because there wasn't transparency, right? There was this FIFA executive committee. It was a small group of people. Well, then FIFA said, okay, we're going to let everybody vote, right? We're going to let everybody in. It's, it's much more difficult to influence an election with 200-some folks than a vote with 12 people. Um, and yet here we are. Where's the votes? What's happening? We're not even pretending like there's a vote anymore. Now suddenly it's just, oh, nope. We're going to Saudi Arabia in 2034, and Gianni Infantino is going to announce it on his Instagram. I mean, it's not surprising. At this point, I don't even think we can say it's disappointing her, but it is certainly 
disheartening. And if you think of all the trouble and all the issues that we had leading up to the Qatar World Cup, you're telling me it's not going to be the same in Saudi Arabia? They're going to have to build just as much in terms of stadiums, infrastructure, all that stuff. Is it, are we going to have to play another Winter World Cup? I mean, it's like FIFA never learns from its mistakes. They never learn any lessons. They just get richer. The rich just get richer. Speaking of promotion, why don't we promote something that's right here on ESPN Plus? La Liga, that's right, Barcelona taking on Real Sociedad Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. But make sure to join us right here on Plus for the pregame coverage, which begins at 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon. That's a great ball. Down by Tellison. Tellison cutting. Tellison! Ripples the road. Blue City in transition. Lancaster picking Lewis's pocket. Gonzalez steps through. City back in the conference finals, which is basically, at this point, a guarantee when it comes to the USL's Eastern Conference. Since their first year in business back in 2015, Louisville City has made it to at least the conference final every single year. How about that for consistency? The man in charge for the last uh, three of those seasons, none other than Danny Cruz, who joins us now on Football Americas. Danny, great to have you with us. Where are you joining us from? Where we find you tonight? I'm in Charlotte at the moment. Got here a little bit early. Uh, we'll drive down uh, tomorrow and start getting ready for Saturday night. There you go. Can't spend uh, too much time in enemy territory. So they're in Charlotte, right? Just uh, keeping, their, keeping a safe distance there from, from Charleston. We'll talk yeah. about the game against Charleston in just a second, but let's start with the game that you guys uh, wrapped up over the weekend. 4 nothing against Detroit. I know Detroit came into this thing as the, the upstarts, right? The eight seed, but a 4 nothing game in the postseason, Danny? That's got to feel good. Yeah, the players were excellent. I mean, the atmosphere was incredible, as it always is there at Lynn Family Stadium. Uh, and the guys started on the front foot. They were incredible for the night. I thought defensively we were sound. And, um, you know, they put themselves in a position, obviously, to, to make sure we're, uh, we're playing for uh, a trophy this weekend. You know, Danny, I can't believe Sebastian didn't pick you guys to go to the conference final again. I did. I can't believe Sebastian <laughs> lies. Pick you guys. What do you lies. mean? <laughs> Can we just you sit on a throne of lies? I'm going to be honest here, but let me explain myself, Danny. You guys won two of the last seven games of regular season. You know, you know how this is. Once you get into the postseason, it's about form. So I, I didn't think you guys had the form. What sparked this turnaround? Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, Herc. Or was it you, Seb? One of you two. Um, <laughs> you know, listen, I think when you look at the experience that this group has, uh, you know, the, the mentality that they have, you know, this is a spot they've been in before. And I, I talk about it a lot, but, um, you know, those feelings that, that players walk out with when they go out for a playoff game, these guys have felt it, you know, so it's not something new. I think that plays in a big a big role in it. You know, there's no doubt we've had our adversity this year, no question. Uh, but I think the players have responded well. And, you know, the group is in a good spot mentally. Uh, the mentality has been excellent in training and obviously in the first two rounds of the playoffs. So um, we're excited. It's, it's another opportunity to rep represent this club, the community, uh, you know, as best as we can. And uh, we're excited for that. 
Danny, I get it. Consistency's great, but I'm sure there are high expectations there at Louisville, not just in terms of what we've seen on the field uh, over the last few years, but really what we've seen the club do off the field. There's huge investment. We know the club has big ambitions. I believe the last title was 2018, so that's five years now since there was some USL hardware. How much pressure do you feel under as the manager to deliver, despite the fact that, yes, there has been a consistent level of success leading up to this point? Yeah, I think because of all the things that you mentioned, there's expectation and there should be. You know, there's so many people invested in this club, and including uh, the, com the community. Our ownership group has done amazing things. To, you look at the stadium, you look at our training ground, it's, it's fantastic. But, um, you know, we continue to try to focus on the process, putting ourselves in the best position that we can to, to lift trophies. And uh, I can promise you, I, I know that it was 2018. I know that's the last time. Um, but we take that seriously. You know, I think we have a group that can do something special. You know, we have to make sure we show up uh, the right way. Uh, Saturday night, we start the game the right way. And, and our hope is we can be, uh, you know, competing for the, uh, the USL final. You know, I feel like I get a good sense of who you are as a person, who you were as a player, Danny. But I don't have that great of a sense or a grasp of you as a coach, like seeing you personally up front. So you've had some coaches like Dominic Kinnear, Ben Olsen, Jim Curtin. Who are you most like out of those coaches? <laughs> I, I think I, I, try, I try to do a good job of, of learning from all of them that we've had. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of me and sorry, there's a little bit of them in, in everything that I try to do. You know, I think those are all incredible coaches, by the way, who have had success. Um, and I learned a ton as a player from each and every one of them, and they all manage differently. Um, you know, I'm, I'm somebody that wants to, to push my players to be the best version of themselves, both on and off the field. Uh, I want to help get them to where they want to go, and I want to do it by winning games and, and representing the club and the community and my family uh, to, to the best of my ability. Um, but again, as you said, those are three coaches uh, that I played under that have all had a heavy influence on the way that I look at the game and, and the way that I, I choose to manage uh, the group. That answer, by the way, Seb, leads me to believe that it's Dominic Kinnear. Mm, <laughs> right. He said a lot without making a choice. I worked with Dom down in Houston. I know how he can, you know, work his way around a, a clear answer. Love Dom's me some Dominic Kinnear. Dom's a great man. Kinnear. A great Absolutely. Absolutely. An absolute uh, legend uh, in this game. All right, before we let you go, got to ask you about Charleston. Tell us a little bit, Danny, about this matchup. We had Fidel Barajas on the show uh, a couple days ago, man, or sorry, I think last week. Kid yeah. is just a, an incredible sensation. One of the top players in the league when it comes to assists. How do you stop him and how do you get this W on Saturday? Yeah, he's a, he's a really, really good young player. I think when you look at the way they're coached, they're really well coached. Um, it's a group that uh, has had a lot of success this year. They're they're at, you know at home uh, a difficult team to play against um but i think the biggest thing is i said it already but making sure that we start the game the right way um on the front foot and and hopefully lean on our experience uh in the critical moments um but you know Barajas, yeah really good player really good player hey that Barajas not going to be in the game we're just told by production is that oh. correct that's what I think, but I won't, I won't know until I show up. That's for sure. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He's got the uh, U-17 World Cup coming up with Mexico, so uh, pulled away to, to duty. But Danny Cruz, 
And this is something Dominic Kinnear definitely would have done. He would have said, I'll wait to see the team sheet before I believe uh, who's going to be there and who's not. There he is, Danny Cruz. Thanks so much for joining us here on Football Américas. As always, great to have you here on the show. You can watch Danny and Louisville City in action this weekend right here on ESPN+. They play the aforementioned Charleston Battery Saturday, uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. And then Saturday night, it's the Western Conference Final, Sacramento Republic against Phoenix Rising. All right, Herc, time for our parting shot here on this edition of Football Americas. It takes us to Brazil. Palmeiras against Botafogo, the top two teams in the top flight. Botafogo up 3-0 when Endrick takes over. He's the uh, teenager signed by Real Madrid. Two goals, Herc, in the second half, and they were beauties. Yeah, this one's just ridiculous. In between players, just the seat parts for him. He slots it in. Uh, this is even crazier right here. Watch this. With the knee, fake shot, and then boom! This, just look at the slow motion on this app. It's one of the most ridiculous finishes you can see, and it comes from a teenager. Kid is the real deal. Now, Botafogo had a man sent off in the 76th minute. That was just before this goal from Endrick. So that really played a big role in how this game would end up because after Endrick scored, Palmeiras were not done. They would claw back to tie it 3-3. And then in the 99th minute, Herc, they get the game winner here. Yeah, I, I mean, what do you want? Man down. John Texter, the Botafogo owner, after the game, not very happy. Let's hear what he had to say. Um, you're clearly very annoyed by everything that happened here. Why do you have to say? The whole world saw it. That is not a red card. He got the ball first. If it's even a foul, I'm not sure. It is not a red card. He changed the game. This is corruption. This is a theft. Please find me, Edinaldo, but you need to resign tomorrow morning. That's what needs to happen. This championship has become a joke. Nobody deserves this. These players for Palmeiras, they don't want to win this way. We don't want to lose this way. It's like five games in a row. Gentlemen, you played a good game. It's not your fault, but this is fucking corruption. This has to change. Edinaldo, you need to resign for the good of the game. It has to be over now. This is theft. Find me. You can red card me. Right? It's my stadium. I'll still be here. Wow. All right. John Texter, the American owner of Botafogo there, very upset. Uh, so upset that we couldn't find the bleep button, apparently. ESPN Plus. Herc, was this, is this shots fired or is this a get lost? What do, what do you think here? No, shots fired and it's warranted. Listen, we didn't show the red card, uh, but absolutely should not have been a red card. Let's leave the red card. Look, at this is no way a red card here. Tell me if this is a red card, okay? No, it's not. It's a yellow card. You can't red card the dude. Look. Cut's not a red card? That's not a red card. I'm with John Texter. And by the way, by the way, if John Texter sounds familiar, the name sounds familiar, it's because the man, it's not the first team he owns, but the Fogo's not the first team he owns. He also owns Crystal Palace, uh, where uh, one of our players, Chris Richards, plays here in CONCACAF. He also owns Olympique Lyon, which, by the way, wanted uh, Christian Pulisic very badly, uh, didn't do enough to get him from, uh, and he went to Milan. Uh, I believe he has actions in the women's team as well uh, mm -hmm. in Lyon and OL Reign. I don't know if he's still part of the OL Reign ownership group, but he's well-versed in ownership in football. I, he's absolutely right. 
We see this all the time. We see this all the time. He yells corruption. I wouldn't be surprised. Football is a wow. corrupt sport around the world. Wow. This was one of those games where the red card absolutely changes the game. I'm talking about the red card changing the game. Mm -hmm. The red card absolutely changes the game. Was it a red card for me? No. And I love how passionate he is. I wish we had Major League Soccer owners, Liga Amekis owners, talking this way after mm -hmm. a game. Yes, uh, I do too, for uh, great content here on the show. What I would say is that a bad call does not always mean corruption. However, I'm very, very happy with the uh, big Palmeiras win. I'm heavily invested oh, uh, in some Palmeiras futures to win the league. <laughs> so, this is a big result for your boy. Palmeiras climbing up the table. They were, uh, they were buried there, but now we I need think to have uh, an intervention. second, just three points back. Uh, of Botafogo. Alright, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. We will be back on Monday with part two of our interview with Brendan Aronson. We will also be joined by Jeff Kasouf looking ahead to the NWSL Championship. That'll be episode 299. What'll Herc wear? Maybe a jersey as cool as that. How about speaking of cool jerseys? Oh, that's an appropriate team for that jersey. Look at that. Dia de los Muertos. Muertos. Look at that America beauty. <laughs> Top of the table, read them and weep.